Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. message today, because we're continuing on in this thing, is the anatomy of a blood covenant. The anatomy of a blood covenant. And so um, this is where I told you to turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Verse 16. Now I'm going to read it in the passage translation. It's, It's a little bit different than some of the other ones. But it says this. It is very common for people to swear an oath. Is that true? Yeah. You know, you got those people, oh, man, I swear I'll do it. Like, kids are great at that, right? Because they say, oh, yeah, I'll clean my room, Mom, I promise. I clean it, I will, you know, whatever. And then they don't, and then you're like, hey, how come you didn't clean your room, right? Or, you know, other things that, that, that happen. But see, men, men do that. We swear, but that doesn't mean that we, we back it up sometimes. We falter in backing it up. I mean, you know, we have probably have done it in some way shape or form to other adults. Oh, yeah, yeah, man, I'll be there. You don't show up, right? Or this, and you don't, you know, you don't follow through. But see, what we're talking about is we're talking about a blood covenant, right? And the oath in a blood covenant is the most binding agreement, okay, known to man and in the New Testament is the divine contract signed by Jesus himself. Okay? So we're going to start back again on this thing. It says, it is very common for people to swear an oath by something greater than themselves. For the oath will confirm their statements and end all disputes. Verse 17. So in the same way, Okay, so here's God. He's, he's kind of bringing it practical to us. So in the same way, God wanted to end all doubt. How many have ever had doubt before? Yeah, man, I'm going to raise my hand. I'm, I'm, I'm in that group. I'm, I'm walking with you on that. God wanted to end all doubt and confirm, okay, or to make supernaturally confident to conf- and confirm it even more, I love this word, forcefully to those who would in- inherit his promises, okay? His, who, who inherits his promises? We do, right? If we're a believer in Jesus, then we inherit the promises. So he's saying right here, hey, I will do whatever it, it is necessary to enforce or, or to give you that understanding that, man, you know what? These promises, they are for you. They are absolutely 100% for you. It says his purpose, or like his words, was unchangeable. So God didn't say, put it out there and then go, ah, yeah, wait a minute here. Hold on. We kind of made an error, right? We need to go back. Where's the white out? Let's change this. No, he didn't do that. It says that his word, his purpose was unchangeable. So God added his vow, basically meaning he bound himself to the promise. What? God bound himself to the promise. So it is impossible for God to lie, for we know that his promise or his word and his vow, his covenant will, will never change. 
Just, man, that right there. That understanding of the fact that, you know what? His word, his covenant he's made with you and with me will never, ever, ever, ever change. He will not back out of it. He will not say, oh, wait a minute. No, I didn't mean it for you. I meant it for uh, this person. Or, you know, I only meant it for Billy Graham and not for you, Pastor Scott. Sorry. No. He's saying, you know what? Every single believer, everyone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ now has, or is in this covenant. And everything that he promises in his word is now yours. And he's not going to change. He's not going to back out of it. So again, it says in verse 18, so it is impossible for God to lie. See, if God lied, he couldn't be God. It says, for we know that his promise, his word and his vow, covenant will, will never change. And now we have, now this is talking about us. And now we have run into his heart to hide ourselves, right? Or to be rescued or redeemed from our sinful nature. That's what we've done. When we accept Jesus as Lord of our life, then what we're doing is we're basically running to him and we're hiding within him because there's a difference between our sinfulness and Jesus' righteousness, which is we'll get to in a second, okay? But it says, in his faithfulness, so he's faithful, it says this is where we find his strength and comfort. So if you wonder sometimes how come you're not experiencing God's faith, uh, strength and comfort, maybe it's because you're not completely running to him. Maybe you're not completely in the door. Maybe you got one foot in the door, one out, and like, well, I'm just going to kind of see how this works, right? If you're willing, then, man, I'm in the door. But, man, he might not be willing. Something to think about. It says, so this is where we find strength and comfort, for he empowers us to seize what has already been established ahead of time, an unshakable hope. What's already been established ahead of time? That Jesus would come, that he would die on the cross for our sin, and that God would make a covenant with us as believers. That's, so he said, you can already receive that. That is already yours. It's an unshakable hope. Verse 19, we have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. An unbreakable anchor. Only way it's, it's I think, is broken is when we break it. When we lose sight of who God is. When we lose sight of what God's promised. When we lose sight of, of you know, feeling like we're just the small dot in the cosmos. Man, you are not a small dot in the cosmos. You are everything to God. Every single one of us is everything to God. So as Christians, it's important, and really it's actually like a game changing. It's game changing to realize that God took an oath to doubly guarantee his promises to you. God took an oath to, to guarantee that you know what, what I have said, what I have spoken in this word, man, I am doubling down. I am giving you an oath that cannot be broken because my word, I do not lie, and my word is unchangeable. That's pretty exciting. But see, that's game-changing. Because when you start walking around and understanding that, you know what, God's faithful to his word. He's faithful to me as a believer. Do I make mistakes? Yes, but I keep coming back to him and saying, Lord, thank you for forgiving me of my sin. And you know what, that, that can, makes us continue to understand that his word, his covenant is real in our life. 
is real. And that we can walk in that. But see, when we get that, that uh, revelation of it, then we can have more confidence. More confidence in what we're reading. More confidence in, in the will of God and what God's word is saying. More so than what the world promises and what the world says. But see, we're really good at that. Because we're kind of like just born into it. We're really good at it. But see, that's why the Bible talks about we have to renew our mind daily. Right? Romans 12. It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But see, we're, we're so, so wired sometimes. It's almost like when you renew your mind, you're rewiring the system. But see, we're wired sometimes to have more confidence in what the world promises and what the world says. And, and we, we kind of get it because, you know, we, we sign these contracts that have to do, you know, kind of like with house insurance or car insurance or health insurance. Because, you know, we, we expect then that we're going to get what we need out of those things. Because if something happens, someone runs into my car while well, I'm calling my car insurance. Man, I got benefits. I got, I'm going to call them and I'm going to expect them to do what they said my coverage says. Or, you know, my house insurance, if something happens, if, if you know, a tree caves in or, or whatever, or, or it burns up, we're going to, hey, call the insurance because we're expecting because we signed a contract. We, this is what we expect. But see, we don't do that with God's word. We don't say, hey, man, this is, this is, a, this is a contract. This is what God has promised. And, and we, so we don't approach it that way in a sense of, hey, God. And I, I know some will, will kind of wrestle with this. Because it'll be like, well, man, we're, we're, that means we're, you know, kind of putting our finger on God and telling him, you better do this. No, it's not doing that. It's just saying, hey, this is what you said you would do. Right? When the Bible says God will meet all your needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Well, God, man, you said you would meet all my needs. I, what is all? All. Right? But it's putting him in remembrance of his word because that word is part of his vow. To you. Right? And so we've got to understand that it's just important. But see, God obligated himself to fulfill every single promise that he made to us in the word through the blood covenant that he made by the shedding of blood by Jesus. He, he obligated himself. And you might say, well, wait a minute. Man, that violates God's sovereignty, Pastor Scott. Which means, you know, God can do whatever he wants. You never know what God's going to do. He works in mysterious ways. Well, it doesn't, doesn't violate God's sovereignty. It actually probably should make your faith increase. If you think about it this way. Because God, by God making a covenant in his blood with man, it was all his idea. That's sovereignty. It was his idea to say, hey... I'm making a covenant with man. Nobody held a gun to his head. We didn't force him to do it. We didn't say, hey, you better do this. No. Out of God's love for each and every one of you, each and every person that, that, that comes into to, to, to the kingdom, his love was like, man, no, I, I've already made this covenant with you, and now you get to have all of the contract benefits, all of the, the covenant promises that I, that, I, that I can give you, everything. And so it's, it, it's, not, it's not going against God's sovereignty because he's the one that made the contract. He's the one that made the covenant, 
right? And, 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 and I think in some ways, you know, he made this vow in order for us to really trust him. He signed a contract to win our trust. When we start looking at it, when we start understanding, wait, whoa, whoa, man, God went to all this, right? We understand that God sent his son to die on the cross for us. We get that, right? Because we've asked him to come be our Lord and Savior. We get that. But see, there is so much more than just that, that you and I can be living in and, and having activated in our life than just that. There's so much more to this picture. And so God was the one who made the contract. He agreed to it. And so we have to understand that without a doubt, God is faithful. God is faithful to his word. He's faithful to his promises. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 17 through 22 um, if you want to turn there, or I'll be up on the screen right here. This is what it says. Now, this is God, God talking. Now, we're gonna, I'm just going to give you an idea of kind of this, this, this covenant thought. It says, For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings to burn grain offerings and to make sacrifices forever. So both of those are referring prophetically to Jesus. Okay? Both of those. One who sits on the throne, right? Jesus sits on the throne. And then also Levitical priesthood, one who is ministering on our behalf to God. He is our mediator. And so, you know, as we're, you know, as we're praying, he's praying for us too. He's talking to God on our behalf. So he's his mediator, right? So if you, if, if you want a couple of scriptures to back that up, I think they're, they're in the workbook. Uh, Luke uh, 132 through 33, Hebrews 8.1. If you want to do some referencing. Verse 19. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord. If you, okay, he's talking to Jeremiah. If you can break my covenant with day, with the day, and my covenant with the night. Whoa, 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 stop right there. You mean God has a covenant with the day? And God has a covenant with the night? What? That, that doesn't make any sense, right? But here he says, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that day and night will not come at their appointed time. So God made a covenant with day and night. And would you say that's still holding up? Absolutely. Because it gets night, and it gets day. And that's still holding up. Why? Because God made a covenant. Right? A binding agreement with day and night. I mean, if you think about it, too, in Genesis, right? God made a covenant with the earth. Hey, it shall never rain like this again. Has it? Nope. We get the rainbow. Every time we see that rainbow, it's like, praise you, Jesus. You're not going to flood the earth again. But he hasn't done it. Because why? Remember, he said the rainbow is a picture of his covenant. Right? It's a promise. Verse 21. Then also my covenant with David, my servant, may be broken. 
so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne and my, uh, my commandments with a Levitical priest, um, my, my minister. So what he's saying is, you know what, if you can break the day and night covenant, then you know what, you can break the covenant I made with David. But you can't break the covenant with day and night. So that means that the covenant promise of a man coming to sit on the throne, King Jesus, to be a, a Levitical priest, to, to, to minister to us, is true. It, and he came, right? So he, he, he's, he's confirming this covenant. And verse 22, it says, And the host of heaven cannot be numbered, and the sands of the sea cannot be measured. Then I love this. So I will multiply the offspring of David, my servant, and the Levitical priest who minister to me. So he said, man, if you can't break that covenant, then you know what, what I'm going to do? I'm going a step further. I am even going to multiply the offspring of David. Now, that's just not talking David. That's talking about you and I. Get that? So even in his infinite wisdom and glory and all that, he saw way down the road, and he said, you know what, I'm going to be multiplying because people are going to come to the one who is going to sit on the throne. That's Jesus. And so he's saying, you know what, I'm going to multiply the offspring of David, my servant, and the Levitical priesthood and minister to me. That's under a covenant. Has it happened? Yeah. It has happened because you got a lot more believers than they had at the beginning of the church. It keeps multiplying. Right? 2 Corinthians 5.20 tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ. You and me are ambassadors. We represent the kingdom. Uh, Revelations 1 said he made us kings and priests. Wow, go around telling people that. Hey, I'm a king. I'm a priest. And they think you're nuts, right? Whatever. But that's what scripture said. Think about that, man. I'm a king and a priest? Yeah, because of what Jesus did. Not because of what you did but because of what Jesus did, and then you just decided to follow him, to give your life to him. And in that covenant, God established that it would be that way. So, I know we're, we're kind of looking at this. We're going to get to our very first point. We're going to look at, at, over the next couple weeks, a few basic things about covenant. And, and we're going to look at what it is, what it involves, how the covenant agreement is made. So it kind of, to me, it kind of feels a little more academic here, but I'm going to still try to be preachy in it. So go with me, right? And so we're going to kind of broadly outline this autonomy of a blood covenant, um, which hopefully will then help us to um, recognize the significance of it. And so, um, and probably too, make it more personal as we read our Bible. Because when you start recognizing the covenant promises and how God had tied that in or whatever, then you start to realize, well, that's for me. That, that's for me. It's not, it's not for Pastor Scott just because he's up here speaking every Sunday and he gets paid to do what he does. It's not, not just for me. It's for you. It's for every single one of us. Okay? So the very first one is what is a blood covenant. Now, some of you might have heard this stuff already before, but let it, let, let, just let the Lord talk to you, okay? So, a covenant is not merely a contract, right, which we mentioned last week, that we're accustomed to, 
right? When we buy a car or a home or, or you know, any other thing, right? You sign a contract um, with, with all those, you know, those papers. Have you ever done that? And there's just a ton of papers and you, you never read it, right? Have you ever read those papers? Because that's all legal jargon and all that stuff, okay? So we, we understand, but that's not really what the blood covenant is. And, and really why we sign those is so they can hold you accountable because they don't trust you. That's why they just don't trust you. But a blood covenant is a binding, unchangeable agreement made between two different parties, okay? It's a binding, unchangeable agreement made between two different parties, now, in Scripture, we can see kings, nations, tribes, they come into covenant. There's a marriage covenant. There's friends covenant. Um, but all of these were made to infuse confidence and to greatly strengthen relationships. So covenants are based on one of two things um, or a combination of both. The first is love. The first is love, right? A covenant in marriage. Actually, you know, these days we don't really talk about a covenant of marriage. We just talk about, hey, you're going to get married. But really back then, man, when they, when they got married, they, they were making a covenant together. And we'll get into that a little, little later on in some other messages. The second, but the, and, and this is the most widely used reason, is for strengths and weaknesses. For strength and weaknesses. And primarily to help ones with weakness. Now, for example, I'll give you this example. Now, this is... Um, kind of out of the, the um, God Swears book. Um, and, and we do have those available for those who signed up who wanted to, to get it. Um, but he, here we have a tribe. The, the very first tribe are really great at farming, okay? And this tribe, man, they've mastered how to grow crops. They, are, they never go hungry, right? They're eating good in the neighborhood, just like Applebee's. They just got it all going on, and, and they're just, you know, doing great. But what happens is they are lousy fighters. And so they constantly keep getting raided and raided and raided by others, and they're stealing their food. So they have this weakness. They have a strength. They know how to farm. They know how to plow. They know how to, to harvest. They know how to plant. They just know how to do all of those things. But that weakness that they have is they have no idea how to defend themselves when somebody comes and attacks them. So what happens is there are times then they go hungry because all their food is gone. Now we bring a second tribe into the example, and the second tribe, they're great fighters. They, they know all the tactics. They're into war. They, they just, they're just great fighters, man. They, they, they just know what they're doing. They got all these strategies. But they have a weakness. They're lousy farmers. They can't even grow weeds. It's just, man, that's that's just a struggle for them. And so they constantly go hungry. They can can fight and they can defend and do that. But, man, they they have no sources, resources for food. And so how do you think they're going to fix that? Well, obviously, if they're smart, they're going to go to the farming tribe and say, hey, we need to join together because I have a strength and you have a strength. I have a weakness, and you have a weakness. And so I think what we should do is we should come together and let's make a covenant, a binding agreement. So the tribe that is good at fighting would agree then to give all of its strength, 
all of its tactics, all of its, um, you know, ability to fight towards protecting the farmers who, in their area of weakness, will give you everything. It's, it's going to be all yours. So then, in exchange, the produce, the farmer guys would give their produce to eliminate, right, the fighter's weakness of farming. So now they're working together to be able to fight off any situation, right? Now, all of a sudden, they're no longer weak. The fighters are no longer weak in, in growing crops because they have this covenant, a binding covenant. And then, then the farmers are no longer, you know, going hungry because they're able to keep their food because the others are protecting them and helping them. And so what happened was, is that on the spiritual side of things that affect you and I daily, Jesus, by going to the cross, right, by spilling his blood, made every one of us, made every one of us become righteous when we believe in him. We, we possess the perfect and complete righteousness of Christ. Now, you would say, well, but that, Pastor Scott, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, you don't know what I did yesterday. You don't know what I did last night. You don't even know what I did in the morning, man. It could have been totally like not what God wanted me to do, and I just know it was bad, but you just don't know. But every single time that you come back to God and say, man, you know, I messed it up, I blew it, man, you, you're, that righteousness is established. That righteousness is there. And so... God looks at us and says, man, I, all I see is righteousness. The same righteousness that Jesus, who Jesus is. He sees that in you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this. For God made the only one who did not know sin, that's Jesus, his son, to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. It's because you have union with him. You have this ability to, because you've given your life to Christ. Now you are made righteous before God. That's what he sees. He doesn't see all the guck, all the, all the stuff. He sees this righteousness. And so basically what took place in that divine day, right? That exchange, it took this, this exchange took place that Jesus exchanges his righteousness Right? His strength for our sin and for our weakness. Because sin is weakness. It's weakness. But see, Jesus knew no sin. But he became sin for us. Why? Because it was part of the covenant promise that God had made that was going to be unchangeable, was part of the vow. He says, I will not go back on my word at all. Man, think about that. The day that we gave our life to Jesus was the day that we just gave him all of our sin and all of our weakness. And is the day that he turned around and gave us all of his righteousness and all of his strength. Right? I mean, we get that if we have kids. Our kids have any weaknesses or whatever, man. As a parent, usually you're there to help. You want to make them better. You want to help grow them. But it's based out of love. It's based out of your love for your kid. If your kid is not, you know, like 
Ezra right now is doing sixth grade math and he's having to do these things. And man, he's not, he's just feeling like he's not very good at math. Well, then, you know, me and Heather got to help him and we don't understand math because it's been years. And so, but we're helping because we love him and we're trying to, to, to help, you know, be there. And so it's his weakness and hopefully we get to the point where it's actually a strength where, you know, he's doing well. But man, we were helping him the other night and I was just like, I don't remember any of it. And, and really, you're going to laugh because it had to do with fractions. Like, really? Come on. But man, it's been so long. Anyways, but see, you would do that though because you love your kids so much. And then, you know, which then you take it to what God's done because of John 3.16. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever shall believe on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He looked and said, man, the, the humans, the people, they have weakness. They have sin. But man, I'm going to give my son. I'm making a covenant with them that then they become righteous if they receive him. Right? He doesn't go against our free will. Okay? Which brings us to our second point. Okay? So what does the blood covenant involve? Well, there's four primary aspects of the blood covenant. The first is the terms of the covenant. And like, again, we're just trying to give you the breakdown of what this all looks like, what this all means. Um, but the terms of the covenant. So before anything else is done, the terms, um, needed to be discussed, the terms needed to be discussed and agreed upon. That's fair, right? All of the parameters of who was responsible to do what and what the outcome would be. There, there's an outcome here. What the outcome would be when it was kept or when it is broken. So all of these things had to be thoroughly discussed. They all had to be agreed upon and made very clear. Otherwise, there was no covenant when, when, two, when two came together. And, it, you know, it kind of goes the same way with our, our, our contracts that we sign, right? You, you sign a house payment contract or, you know, your, your house and what happens it says in the thing, you know what? Hey, if you don't make your house payment, your house is going to be foreclosed on. Or your car, right? If you don't make your car payment, you're going to get repoed. Um, or, you know, whatever that is. But if you pay your bills, then you're going to experience all the benefits that you're going to get from the house, from the car. But it's in that contract. So in any contract, really, we should be reading the fine print and knowing what that is to be able to sign off on it. But see, here's the deal. We need to start reading our Bible to know what's in the contract so we can sign off on it. Same principle. Because if you don't read your Bible and you don't start looking at it and say, man, that, that's a promise? Wow, that's part of the contract? Wow, okay, I, I'm going to sign off on that. I'm going to believe that. I'm going to take that. But see, a lot of times we just kind of don't really know. And then, again, it goes back to, well, you never know what God's going to do. Uh, if he's willing, he might. He, you know, he works in mysterious ways. No. God gave us what he, how he works in his word. We just got to be, you know, man up or woman up and start reading, reading, reading it and taking it for what it says. But again... Here's a great part too. God and Jesus both looked at the terms of the covenant and both of them agreed to it. They knew every detail about it. What it was going to cost Jesus. 
Jesus knew it was going to cost him his life. Jesus knew that he was going to have to go to the cross. But when they, when they got down and they wrote it, and man's not even involved, right? Man's not even at the table. But when God and Jesus were writing this covenant contract, made in blood, they both agreed yes. They both agreed on it. They signed off on it. Which then makes the, the entire Old Testament, right, the, this document, documentation for the New Testament covenant because it's the fulfillment. The Old Testament is the fulfillment of the New Testament of Jesus coming and being our Lord and Savior. See, Jesus fulfilled the law, right? We've read that in the Bible. He fulfilled all of the Old Testament documentation, doc, docu, documentation ah, of, of the covenant. And now, what's really great, Scripture tells us that we have a better covenant than the old covenant. This is what it says in Hebrews 8.6. But now Jesus, the Messiah, has accepted terms of the contract. That's what you need me to do, God? I'm there. I'm doing it. Right? He accepted a priestly ministry which far surpasses theirs, meaning uh, normal people, right? Or even pastors, okay? And, and then it says, since he is the catalyst of a better covenant, which contains far more wonderful promises. He is the catalyst of a better covenant. So we have more covenant rights, more covenant promises than anybody in the Old Testament. At least that's how I read it. Can you imagine that? We think, oh man, if I was just born then. No, man, what a time to be born right now for such a time as this. We have better promises because of who Christ is and what Christ did for us. But it's all because he agreed to the parameters of the covenant. And, and a lot of times, too, we look at it and say, well, you know, the Bible is just a love letter to you and I. And it is. It's a love letter to you and I. But it's also a contract. It's a legal document signed by the blood of Jesus. And we have to realize that and recognize that. And that gives us, right, the ability to get on, get, get in all of the benefits that he has for us. Because, because, here's the deal, we are one with him. We are one with him. Okay, the next one is, once all the terms are agreed to, then it's the length of the contract. The length of the contract, that was decided. Just like, you know, we have contracts, um, you know, for your home or for your car, you know, homes like 30 years possibly, or even a car for four to five years, which that means, hey, that's the duration of the contract. Well, the same thing happened too in, in covenants. There would be a duration that would last either like the life of an individual, okay, who made, made the covenant, and if, when that, that life of the individual died, it would be terminated. It would be, it would be over. But most often, covenants were extended for future generations. So it would mean it would go on and on and on, right? And many of God's covenant extended to a thousand generations. Well, I looked that up, and that's basically what they feel is a generation is 38 years. So that means 38,000 years a covenant goes on for, a blood covenant. For 38,000 years. But see, what's really cool is in the New Testament, our covenant extends all the way to eternity. That's exciting. It extends all the way into eternity. And you can find some scriptures on, on, on the workbook. 
Then after that, that that's been kind of decided how long the, the, the terms are. Then it's the site of the covenant agreement. So once the terms and length of that have been agreed upon, then the site was carefully selected because of its sacredness. Okay? Um, it had to be highly visible because everybody, it wasn't just the leaders making the covenant. It was everybody would come together and witness the covenant that was being made. So a lot of times they would probably like, like choose a valley to do it, where then each tribe could get up on the hill and they could all look down. I mean, that's what they do in weddings, right? The two are coming together and you have witnesses, the guests that have come. Well, what are they doing there? They're not just there just because they're getting free food, which maybe some are, but you know what I mean. But really, they're, they're supposed to be there are witnesses. Uh, the, 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 the bridesmaids and, the, and the, best, the groomsmen, they're supposed to be witnesses. And so they're witnessing what is taking place when two come together. Same principle happens is they, that, that the site is sacred, right? Because even getting married in a, in a church or wherever you get married, that's sacred. Especially to the girl. The guy's always kind of like, yeah, whatever. Just, you know, I don't care. The girl's like, no, man, I just got to be here. But it's the same concept. They had, they had to pick a spot that was sacred and that was visible so everyone could be involved. Everyone could make sure that, man, this is what it is. Now, to, to just kind of tie in what we're talking about as far as, you know, what, what Christ has done, many scholars believe that the mountain where God spared Abraham from, uh, from sacrificing his son Isaac is the same mountain right, that's in Genesis chapter 2, is, is the same location of Jesus' crucifixion. It's the exact same. Way back in Genesis, when Isaac was going to offer his son because God told him to, but he didn't, because God said, no, don't do it, man, there's a ram in the, in the, in the thicket. But it's the same exact location that Jesus was crucified a thousand years before it even took place, right? All that happened. And the place that Jesus was crucified um, is a place called um, Golgotha, which is a skull-shaped hill, okay? And, uh, or we, we know it as Calvary, right? Out, and it's just outside of Jerusalem. But it's because of its height, everyone could witness about Jesus going to the cross. Everyone could see because it was in this, this area so that it could be historically verified that, yes, this took place. Now, after that, you have the represent, representative of the covenant. I know it seems like a lot of information here, but we're almost at it, almost done. Okay? And so with any contract today, there is a legal representative from each side. Okay? That must sign an agreement as agent for all. Right? Which then gives everyone part of the party access to what is um, part of this covenant contract. And so Jesus became our representative. Jesus became our representative. Jesus signed and sealed the new covenant in his blood. So when we take communion, it's a declaration of the contract we have with him. Think about that. It's a declaration of the contract that we have. When we take communion once a month, 
It's not just because we want juice and we just want bread. It's because, you know what, hey, we're, 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 we're making a declaration that there is this covenant that we're walking in. This is what Jesus said in Luke 20, uh, 22, 20. It's in the Amplified Version. He said, and in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup, this is Jesus talking, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant then it says, ratified in my blood, or officially validated it. It was ratified. It was officially valid in my blood. So even Jesus was saying, hey, you know what? When you take communion, man, everything that I have for you, all the covenant promises I have for you is valid because of what I did for you. Because my blood was poured out. So that puts us in a, 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 a position by our faith in Christ that our representative has given us everything that we could possibly need. Jesus was our representative. Right? And we say, well, who's the other representative? God. Right? God and him. See, we, we just, because of our faith... We, we, and, and trusting in Jesus, we just kind of walk into this covenant agreement. It's not like we've done anything special. But see, this covenant agreement was between God and Jesus. And so when we give our life, then all of a sudden, all of these covenant promises are now ours. But it's up to us to grab a hold of them. Let me give you the third point. And man, you're going to be blown away by this one, right? This is going to be just amazing. I'm not, I'm, just, I'm kind of kidding here. But it, now, don't get, don't get worried because we're only doing one of these. But there are nine ceremonial commitments of a blood covenant. I'm not doing all nine today, right? But I just want to give you one because we'll kind of flush these out. Like I said, this is the uh, anatomy so we're trying to give you all of these components to what takes place and what transpires in what, um, in what God has done through a blood covenant so you understand the significance of what he's done and how he planned this out and how he laid this out and what the meanings are and how it all kind of works, okay? So there's two parts to this. It's the agreement in blood. The first, there's a trail of blood. A trail of blood was created. So they would get an Old Testament animal or um, animals, whichever they did, and they were selected. So the one was usually a large one, or the other ones maybe, uh, when there was more, it would be smaller ones. But this is kind of gross. It says, then the animal's throat was slit to allow its blood to flow onto the ground. Now, that's kind of gross and gruesome, right? All right, it gets better, though, okay? It says, then the animal or animals were split along the spine from head to tail, so that one half laid on one side and the other half laid on the other side. That's gruesome. That's gross, right? Okay? Then the second part of that, when the covenant representatives were there, would meet in the middle of the blood trail, right? So you got one part of that, one right there, and then they would come, and they would meet in the middle of all this gruesome-looking blood. So they would meet there, and this is where they would verbally communicate to one another something like this. By standing in the, this blood sacrifice, I am acknowledging that my independence dies today. 
I am forever committing myself to you. And if I should break this commitment, let what was done to this animal be done to me. Now, all that is something, man, we're just not used to, right? Unless you're a hunter and you go out and you dress your own animal, whatever. I tried watching that on YouTube and I was grossed out, man. I'm just like, uh, uh, you know, just dry heaving and all that stuff. It's just nasty, whatever. But, um, but some people, man, they're, they're totally fine with that and that, that's cool. But, but, but here's, here's the reason why it was so dramatic or, or, or had this such effect. It was supposed to leave an indelible thing in your mind about how serious this was. Like, you would walk away from that remembering, wow, and that blood was spilled. They walked in there and they, you know, shook hands. They said all this or whatever. But it would just leave this indelible impression upon your mind. And that's the idea of a blood covenant. The commitment was supposed to be engraved in you forever. Not, not, not to let it go. Because we're not supposed to forget how serious it was. Right? And, and so thinking about it in some ways... You know, when looking at even just the crucifixion of Jesus, you know, a lot of times people just don't even want to go there. It's like, yeah, no. You know, that's why it's so hard to watch the passion of the Christ, right? When you look at that and think, oh my gosh. And that probably, I mean, that was probably pretty tame. But still, it has such a dramatic effect. of It's the closest, right, depiction of what Jesus went through that, that we, we can think of at least, you know, on film. But see, Jesus became our covenant representative, and that's what he went through. The Bible says that, you know, he was beaten 30 with 30 lashes from a Roman scourge, which was designed and developed to rip your skin from head to toe. They couldn't go 40 because they realized if you went 40, then they would die. So we're going to take it all the way up to the thing, Right? Man, they did, and they did so much more to him, right? But then they hung him, they suspended him on the cross, and now Jesus is between heaven on one side and earth on the other, right? He's in the middle. And his blood was draining to the ground, and it was clearing a, a divine pathway of blood so that the new covenant could be established. The new covenant that me and you get to walk in. But see, that, that just shows you how far God was willing to go to make this covenant with you. Well, you know, yes, it's all based out of his love for you. And this covenant is like, hey, you know what? Not only am I going to give you salvation, but I'm also going to give you the ability to grab a hold of, by faith, every promise that I have made in this word, because I took an oath to fulfill it in not just Pastor Scott's life, but in your life, right? Scripture in there that talks about, by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. That's like, well, yeah, I get the concept, but it's not happening to me. Okay, well, I could say the same thing. I still got issues in my body that I am believing and contending and faith for that God has healed me. 
That Jesus, that's one of the stripes that Jesus took is the stripe I needed to be healed from. And have I seen it manifest yet? Not yet. But that doesn't mean I give up and say, well, you know, God works in mysterious ways. I don't know. Hey, God, are you willing today? No, Pastor Scott, I'm not willing because your hair is out of place. It's not perfect, right? I mean, that's silly. But, but, it's, but it's understanding that, you know what? I still have a covenant promise because he made it. He vowed it. He's obligated to it in his sovereignty because he's the one that made it to me. And so we have to hold on to the promises of God. Whatever situation, it could be about relationships. It could be about any situation you are facing, anything you've gone through. Maybe it's even past things or maybe even things that you think are coming up. that uh, I just don't know what to do. Look for the answer. Look for the promise of his word and say, all right, Lord, since I'm your son and daughter, I'm in covenant with you. And because... As, as, as that book we're reading, God swears, as God, you swore that you made a vow, that you said that you would meet me where I'm at and that your covenant promises are true. And then, man, you go from there and you don't let go of it. You just don't go with it. But see, that's how serious God was about making sure that we could take his word and, and, and apply it to our lives to make it practical, right? And sometimes it's just again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.